Hello, everybody. This is your host, Aram Mokumuf, and you're listening to yet another episode of the Product Innovation Show, where every week the guests that we have on our show share their stories and wisdom on how to ship a great product. Uh, today on the show, I have Usama Khan. Um, he is the head of product at Stage 10, uh, which is a leading platform for remote broadcast live streaming. Prior to Stage 10, he was a senior PM at Hopin, which is uh, also in the uh, virtual events space and is originally from Pakistan. So, Osama, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's a, it's an honor to have you on. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Uh, so, first question I have is, um, if I'm not mistaken, you, you mentioned to me last time that you were the first product person uh, to join Stage 10. Uh, so, just curious, like as a first person joining a, a, a company, which, is, which was uh, um, in a, with an interesting and growing kind of market, what were some of the first decisions you you made when you joined? Yeah, for sure. Um, so just to give you a bit of a context, uh, yes, I was and I still am the first uh, and only person who is like a product former product uh, former product management professional into this team. Uh, Stage ten has been around for quite some time, uh, but up until now, the CEO was very much hands on and he was leading the product. But now that uh, the company is in the growth stage. Um, they just, uh, you know, wanted someone to come in and firmly look at the product side of things while the CEO goes on and does what the CEO does, right? So that's how I came in. And uh, yes, as a first person, when you come into a company that um, kind of is just trying to understand what what product um, uh, would look like from their point and, you know, how would it now function with a new person coming in and setting up a product org or product culture, if you will. Um, it was definitely something that I knew as a challenge coming in. Uh, but uh, with that, I was also kind of very curious to see um, the opportunity and then just kind of, you know, have my impact there. So the first thing that I came when I, you know, uh, that I did when I came in was just to kind of understand from the founder's perspective what the company was all about, what the product was intending to do, and the space that we were in. Naturally, for any product management uh, manager trying to understand uh, the space in which they're trying to solve product-related problems, they need to know a lot about the industry. So that's exactly what I started off with. And the first decision that I made was that um, obviously, when in you know when you are a founder started company, more often than not. Uh, you may or may not have any semblance of a product roadmap or a proper strategy in place. So as a first decision, that was the first uh, deliverable from my side that I worked on. And I worked with the founder and the CTO directly to make sure that we were aligned on what the product strategy should be, at least for the next 12 months and so on. And then um, how would that work back into a functional and deliverable roadmap that we can then start working off of? So that was the first step that I took and the first decision I made. Awesome. And so if we were to kind of like pry that open a bit, I'd love to know, uh, because I never really had a chance to ask this to other um, people we've had, we've had on the show, but somebody coming in and um, basically downloading, I think, the information from like a CEO or the founder who's created the company to date, um, what are some tactics, methodologies, processes that you use in order to make sure that you unpack everything that you need to as, as a product leader? And then off of that, determine some of the next steps in terms of creating that roadmap or going to speaking to customers or like whatever mm -hmm. activities you did. 
Yeah. So um, obviously, um, as you know, there are a lot of product frameworks out there that speak about how should a strategy document should look like and what should and where should a roadmap should come from and all those things. From my perspective, I am kind of a generalist in a way that I don't stick to one framework or one solution methodology. I try and kind of uh, process the information in the situation I'm in and do whatever uh, needs to be done as well as uh, go through everything that's available to me in that given time. So in my case, when I started at stage 10, what I had access to was the founder himself, which was great uh, because that was one of the elements that I missed in my, for example, previous role, uh, where the strategy would trickle down through various lines of management and hierarchy to get to me as a PM. Um, so that was kind of refreshing because when when you have the founder um, or you have access to the founder and you and you can kind of you know try and understand from uh, his or her perspective where do they want to take the company and what's the intention and what does their board think about it and their investors think about the space that they're in and uh, what's the big opportunity that they're trying to go after it helps answer a lot of the pressing product questions that you have to begin with in the first place, and especially when you're trying to set up a strategy or at least align on the strategy, that's very important. So in my case, I definitely had access to the founder and then he also provided me a lot of the documents that he had shared previously with his board, his investors, and generally uh, to whoever he used to present the company, which kind of um, helped me understand and process what his thinking was around the company and the product that he was trying to build. Um, that really helped. Um, and then from that point on to take it into a functional roadmap, I did a series of um, sort of a brainstorming workshops of sorts uh, where we did you know deep dive strategy discussions. We had a whiteboard, we would have some pizzas and drinks and then we would just kind of jump right in. And we used to process it um, through multiple sites. So for example, the first session that we did was just to understand our competitive landscape. We didn't even talk about stage 10 at all or what we were trying to do. We just wanted to understand a sense of what existed in that moment in the market, in the live streaming and e-commerce space, and then how, uh, or, or what's the big opportunity that these players uh, who are already in the market are going after. And that kind of resulted in a lot of insights that we uh, directly or indirectly knew aligned with what we were trying to do or, or what we were trying to go after. So then the next session uh, basically came about stage 10 and, and then we talked about, okay, where, where is stage 10 today in terms of as a product, as a platform and as a company. And then from that point on, we kind of just, uh, you know, jumped into individual offerings, the market segments, the customers or the users that we were trying to go after. And then um, everything kind of manifested from that point on. So that was, you know, loosely my strategy or my framework basically that I've worked with. But as a result mm -hmm. of it, the deliverable that came out was a well-defined roadmap that was looking into at least six months by the time we started. And we knew the big opportunity that we were trying to go after. We knew how we would be different from the other competitors and, uh, and the thing that makes us unique, makes us stage 10. Uh, so we were already kind of very curious about that. And one of the things that we were very cautious to make sure that we have as part of that strategy as well as roadmap was our values. So more often than not, as a PM, if you are joining a product area or a product um, itself that, um, and, and then you're in a role or by the size of the organization, if you don't have access to the founders, it's 
some sometimes hard to inculcate those values into your product culture as well as your product language and and the user experience it provides to the users um, that was kind of a refreshing uh, difference for me uh, compared to how i've worked previously because i had the founder and he made sure that our values around um, you know giving access to everyone and providing a level playing field no matter if you're a small retailer or a big brand uh, we wanted to kind of make sure that everyone gets the same tools and the same amount of uh potential to kind of grow their audience monetize their audience and go live essentially with the top notch quality that we can offer as a platform so that right you know kind of really spoke well because then our product features or or the roadmap items that we were building were kind of already having that thought process into it so even the high level requirements were speaking about okay this would serve this type of user but that type of user and that type of user which you know from a sense of execution makes things difficult because now you have to cater to multiple use cases through some through the same feature which makes it hard uh, for you to execute upon but that being said that was one of the values we wanted to have so um that's that's basically the benefit of how being very close to the founder and working on the product strategy and roadmap document helped me in um kind of executing on it and and driving that thought process forward okay awesome and uh how long i mean uh you started off kind of alone as being like the first um person on the product team how what was the hardest part of doing it alone maybe if i was to ask it maybe uh in a different way um cuz i'm sure if there's an is an support team around you and you're working directly with the founders there could be some challenges around uh doing it all alone and then at what point did you then start bringing people on to support you Yeah so I think uh, one of the situations that I was in was that um and 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 the understanding with which I was brought on was that we have to build a roadmap and a product vision that can then eventually be um sold to investors to generate more funding so we were already like we are still in the process of raising funds and we wanted to kind of be in a space where we could raise uh, funds for our growth stage we knew that we had perfected our mvp by the time i walked in the mvp was already there it was functional it did what it was supposed to do but now it was about making that into a formal product um and 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 a modern technology company that can now serve um you know uh, saas users as well as enterprise users uh, the same way or at least you know in a in a, in a top quality level and then you know from that point on kind of just um uh, sell that vision to the investors raise some funds and then grow the team so with that thought in mind obviously as i said the first deliverable was to kind of come up with that strategy and and uh, methodology as well as the roadmap the hardest part for me was uh, to introduce this product thinking across the board because as i said i was the first person to the team and there was no formal product person before um and the ceo while um you know he's he's great at you know kind of coming up with the product vision and all those things that come with it um you know as a as a startup founder you have a lot of hats to wear and more often than not you're not really concerned mm-hmm. about having that proper product thinking in in everything that you're doing it's much more about you know you know kind of creating a vision and then aligning everyone behind that vision and then expecting that the team around you would kind of uh live up to that so for me it was kind of you know coming into that um uh, you know uh, and then sort of disrupting that where 
here's a new person coming in. He's now introducing the whole concepts of product requirements documents or pitch documents as we used to call it. And then going through the cycle of defining those requirements, working with the designers, working with the stakeholders and why stakeholders feedback matters. All of those formal product management concepts that need to be in order to make a successful product, uh, you know, I had to introduce and then speak to, uh, which was obviously, um, you know, in, in, an, in an environment or in a culture that, that does not exist, um, it, it would obviously meet somewhat of a skepticism or some, uh, you know, concern around why are we doing it this way and why can we not do it the old fashioned way and all those things. So I had to, um, you know, uh, rally through that and, and convince them that there is value in doing so. And the approach that I took was, um, let's just deliver some features using this uh, new way of working and see how that functions. And immediately when we started shipping out some of the features that had that thought process built into it, uh, our support team got you know a lot more constructive feedback as opposed to issues around this does not work the way it's supposed to and all those things which were coming in before. So. Mm-hmm. As engineers and developers and everyone around the company was able to see the value of this thought process kind of early on when you're building the feature, they uh, were able to understand the importance of why things need to be done this way. And then it also became a lot more predictable for us to kind of define those next set of requirements while the team executes on the things that are already there in the, in the, in the queue and then kind of going that way. Um, and in terms of building the team, yes, I was the only person when I came in, but then I uh, worked through uh, the product designer on the team, as well as, um, you know, uh, for, for product marketing, I was working with head of marketing and all those people. And while we started off as one person department, so to speak, um, that those teams have grown, including mine. So I now have two designers on the team, and then I'm kind of trying to deliver features through that. And like I said, we are in the uh, process of raising funds and the next um, thing that we have on the horizon is to kind of grow the team as soon as we lock into funding. Okay. Okay. And uh, if you were to go back in time with everything that you just explained to me, is there anything that you would do differently? Yeah. Um, I think with every product experience, there's a lot of learnings. You definitely tend to get things uh, sometimes wrong. Um, and um, I feel you cannot ship a great product if you're not learning from those mistakes, plus the fact if you're not even making mistakes. So instead of you know kind of playing it very safe where you're just making marginal improvements on your current set of uh, features and not knowing if they work or not, um, it's, 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 it's actually much more beneficial for you to ship and ship fast and then fail fast sort of a mindset. So that's that's the mindset I have. That's that's what I've seen work for me in the past as well. So that's the approach that I adopted here. But with that, yes, there is a lot of learnings that I've kind of, um, you know, looking back, I know that, uh, for example, one of the features that we shipped, which was around, um, you know, uh, the, the, so we have, a, you know, just to give you a context uh, for Stage 10, we, we are a live streaming platform that focuses on um, selling products through your live streams. So we have a Shopify integration, um, and then through that, we, we kind of allow anyone to come in to Stage 10, link up their Shopify store, pull up the products from there, and then bring them as part of their live stream and then sell it online uh, while they're live streaming. So as part of that, we were kind of improving the um, flow through which these products could be brought in. 
And what we ended up uh, realizing was that um, we, you know, our, our users were struggling to find the right amount of inventory reflected on the products or even availability. And this was something that, um, you know, in terms of the configuration uh, on when we were pulling uh, the products into Stage 10 from Shopify, we were just not kind of, you know, um, processing that that mm. uh, list of products as we were getting and not reflecting the right information to the user. So while we were building uh, or rather improving upon it, we uh, ended up making it much more cumbersome for the user to find the right products as opposed to making it easy for them, which was the whole intention. But had we not done that, we wouldn't have solved the problem of having our stock always unavailable and those products not showing up as you go live. So that was the main issue that we were trying to solve. Uh, but then as a result of it, we ended up creating another issue, which was um, still giving wrong information around inventory levels and that kind of confusing or throwing off the user because they would see one inventory level reflected on one place and another mm -hmm. at another. So that was the next problem that we identified. But we shipped out a fix afterwards and then, you know, kind of uh, made things better that way. But the point is when you make mistakes, you learn from them. And if you are willing to, and, and as a product uh, organization, you should be, um, uh, you know, on the lookout for these issues and fix them right away, you often find success mm -hmm. and um, are able to, um, you know, retain your customers. Um, I can speak from my past experience as well uh, at places where we were not able to, you know, swiftly accommodate our users' feedback or some of the concerns they had around some of the features. And then we lost those big accounts um, as, as, a, as a company. And that was a huge loss to the business. So um, th that's that's the job of the product manager or, you know, any person who's kind of leading the product, uh, no matter how big or small your feature is, if you're not iterating con constantly on what you've built and not constantly improving it, and you think that, whatever version you've shipped out is the best one because you know that's what the users use and that's what that that's how it should be uh, you would more often than not lose a lot of users if you're not uh, looking into their problems and not solving them as they occur because you wouldn't know when you're shipping out the first version of the feature or even the 10th version of the feature if that's what your users want or if that's what they need or if that's the magic bullet that will solve all their problems relating to that uh, product area or not unless and until you speak to them. And that was uh, a culture that I kind of tried my best to set up in terms of getting feedback from the users, using certain metrics to really understand user churn rate and behavior around uh, some, uh, you know, the product features that we were shipping. And that helped in making an informed decision about where the problem was and then preempting it through the development team to fix those issues. Okay, all right. Uh, let me uh, jump into another uh, tangent here. Um, Knowing what stage 10 does, there's, you know, lots of companies, especially through the whole pandemic that started, you know, exploring um, this kind of space, this sector. So I wanted to ask you what, um, how do you kind of stand out or how do you define yourself as being uh, unique in the world against, you know, all those copycats mm -hmm. or other kind of competitors out there? So like maybe let's talk about stage 10 as like an example here. How did you make a differentiated product that was unique or different in the market? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's, you know, for, for any product that is kind of um, in, in today's modern world, um, you would find 10 other clones or, or, or different other products that are kind of doing the same thing. It's just because there's a huge amount of digital tools 
and uh, you know platforms that are available today for you to build something that you think would be solving a market need. And because that market need is so huge, um, there are 10 other people or companies who are thinking of solving the same need through their flavors of, of doing it. Traditionally, stage 10 is, or, or even you know, um, at the heart of it, stage 10 is a live streaming platform. And what's unique about us is that we are a low latency uh, live streaming uh, provider, which means that our uh, live feeds are basically near real time. Um, and then that kind of really adds to the value of us being, uh, you know, the preferred live streaming partner for our, uh, you know, uh, partners as well as uh, some of the big uh, customers that we work with. Um, the reason why it's important is because when you say live streaming, the word live is basically what matters the most, right? So for someone who is watching you online, sitting wherever else in the world they are, it's very important that they get that feel that this person is indeed live. And more often than not, the live streaming solutions that we've seen on the market tend to have a delay of a few seconds at the very least. And that's only you know if, if they have gotten everything else right as well. So what's unique about Stage 10 is um, our proprietary technology that helps us um, to provide low latency connectivity, uh, which means that whatever I'm saying right now is exactly how you will be seeing it through the live streaming player um, sitting you know, thousands of miles away. Um, and, and that's uh, the, the secret sauce. But that being said, you know, there are a lot of live streaming players out there on the market. And during the uh, pandemic, uh, we saw a whole bunch of uh, you know, these, these solutions come to market and everyone was trying to address this market where everyone was working from home. There was no other way for them to connect and, and live streaming or, or live uh, video broadcasting, same, uh, you know, was the only way that they could, they could see some face uh, time with, with, with their friends or uh, colleagues or whoever else they wanted to connect with. So for us to be unique in the space we wanted to be in, we had to look at it not from a live streaming angle, but rather a slightly different angle, which gives the opportunity for these live streaming creators to monetize their live streams. Now we've talked, you know, or we've seen the YouTubes of the world where you could just update um, or upload your content and then even go live and then have that content kind of live on there and then monetize it through ads. But we were trying to do things slightly differently where we wanted to combine two big uh, markets and, 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 and two big industries together, which was live streaming and e-commerce. So that's how we ended up partnering up with Shopify, where we now can kind of hook up to any, like any, any stage 10 user can hook up to any of their uh, Shopify stores and pull up the products and then make them available to be sold um, as part of their live stream. Now, what's unique about that is because Facebook and Instagram were kind of the first solutions that's you know, introduced this, um, and this basically came through influencer marketing and whatnot, where they had to provide those tools to, to those influencers to introduce those products. But what's different about um, Stage 10 over those products is that uh, those products are actually, um, you know, showing up as part of or, or right underneath your live streaming player. But if I, as a user or a viewer, want to make a purchase, I have to uh, step out of that live streaming environment and go on and explore the product separately in order to really go on and complete that transaction. What's unique about Stage 10 is that we have brought that transaction experience 
as part of the video player. So basically you don't have to go anywhere and you could stay as part of that live stream and you could complete your transaction while your content creator or whoever you're watching or whoever is presenting that live stream is, is already in front of you. And that has really, you know, um, immense amount of uh, returns on investment because um, when you have the user, you know, doing uh, doing a purchase like that in, in that moment in real time, um, you know, there, there's a high chance of conversion when that person is right in front of you as opposed to, you know, kind of redirecting them elsewhere where they may or may not end up completing that transaction or they may find 10 other things that you are not really prioritizing to sell as part of the live stream that you are kind of running right now. So that helps with targeted campaigns. And, um, you know, uh, if, if you've highlighted certain products to be sold as part of the live streaming, um, you know, session that you're running, um, it, it really has uh, immensely increased the uh, conversion rate. And for us, you know, the results really speak um, uh, out. And we have worked with some of the biggest brands who have had more than 200% conversion rate compared to other solutions on the market which is really impressive to say the least. And that's why we feel Stage 10 is kind of winning in this space where we've been able to um, understand this niche opportunity underneath this bigger live streaming industry and e-commerce industry. And we have kind of done a nice marriage between the two and then uh, you know provided this tool to the, uh, to the content creators um, and retailers alike. So they can actually go live, sell stuff, get rich in the process and then you know kind of everyone uh, it's like a win-win-win situation for everyone involved okay okay um a couple more questions before we jump to the fireside osama um i'm curious to ask you uh, because pms have to juggle a lot of different things right whether you're you know a product manager or a cpo um i want to ask you how have you learned over time to say no to certain things so like you know, how are you doing it now versus to when you initially started in product? Yeah, so that's that's one of the, uh, you know, to be honest, that's one of the hardest things that a PM has to do. And the reason for that is that you, you as, a, as, as a PM, everyone looks to you um, to, to really define and then kind of get behind uh, whatever you're saying to be the right thing to do. More often than not, that means a lot more responsibility um, and, and you being accountable for basically everything that your team is doing. So all the features that are going out are kind of going out because you defined them to go out at whatever time uh, you thought was best for them to go out on. Um, so the biggest thing that you have to then juggle is the expectations that your uh, executive uh, leadership has in terms of delivering value for the business. And then the 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 aptitude or, or the interest that your developers have in, in solving the most pressing technical challenges that they see with your product. And then at the forefront is your user or customer who's actually, um, you know, paying for the whole experience or rather, you know, who you are doing everything for um, and then their needs, right? So you as a product manager have to juggle these three major stakeholders to, to really build something that is functional. And, and it's it's hard to strike that balance. And sometimes you have to say no to your developers because they make you aware of a certain technical limitation that will, let's say, you know, for sake of an example, will hurt your scalability in times to come. And while that's important for you to solve, there are much more pressing features that need to be built and delivered 
because your customers and users are asking for it. Sometimes you have to say no to certain users and customers, despite the fact that they may not, like they, they, they would really, really want you to solve that problem or they will leave, which means lost revenue for you. Um, and then direct responsibility on you for that lost revenue because you didn't prioritize their needs. And then it's sometimes, you know, you also have to say no to your executive leadership because they would want to drive certain product initiatives, which will um, kind of throw your product roadmap off of by a couple of quarters at the very least. And that's going to hurt your overall product uh, look and feel and experience for the users, right? So I think that's, that's a skill that honestly I'm still learning um, and, and I don't think I have perfected it just yet. But one of the strategies to mitigate or, or to kind of say no certain times is to rationalize. Rationalize your thinking behind a decision or why you are advocating for one thing over the other. Um, you know, we, we in, in, the, in the product world, another term that's used uh, is, is called trade-offs. So I think that's that's the most important thing that a PM needs to really learn uh, the value of as well as you know um, start mastering as a skill, because if you are unable to identify those trade-offs and more important than that, if you are unable to communicate effectively that why you are prioritizing one thing over the other and what's the trade-off of doing the two things, you are not able to communicate or articulate why you are making a certain decision. So even though that decision may or may not prove to be beneficial, that's only, you know, the future will tell you that. But in that moment, um, if one of your stakeholders is unhappy and they are unable to see why you're making a certain decision, indirectly that creates animosity and a hostile environment for you to work in. So if you want to be successful, you need to rationalize your thinking um, and, and justify the decisions that you're making backed up with data and research that you have done, which makes you believe in what you're doing. So it's it's one thing to believe yourself or having done your job where you've explored all possible solutions and then end up going with one option over the other. Uh, but it's much more important to kind of communicate that thought process and have it percolate through the relevant stakeholders so everyone understands the reasoning behind why you are doing what you're doing. And when they get into that phase, they start providing you much more productive, uh, you know, even um, um, critique or advice or suggestions that make you deliver the best work that you can. Um, I can quote you a few examples from my past experience where I was trying to deliver a feature over the other and while I rationalized um, my uh, understanding of or, or my reasoning behind why I was thinking that to be the way the company goes, um, you know, unless and until I was able to convince them, I wasn't able to have the feedback that really made an impact. Yes, I was delivering a feature and that feature would improve the life of my users, but that wasn't, you know, going to cut it. I wasn't going to delight my customers if I did not receive the feedback from my relevant stakeholders at the right time when I was building that first iteration of that feature. So um, as an example, at stage 10, why uh, we work with our own in-house production team and that production team kind of produces the content for some of our uh, big enterprise customers uh, in partnership with them. So the type of content that they want to throw up, um, you know, or, or, or churn out through stage 10, 
and the products they want to sell, um, our production team kind of goes in and works with them to to kind of you know put it together and then run run a good show. So um, one time I was kind of building a feature where um, I had a solution in my mind where I thought it would work this way and all our users will kind of go on and uh, get the value that they were supposed to. But I, um, you know, my head of production reached out to me and then asked me, um, you know, what's happening about this feature and what, what, why are we doing this over that? And, and I explained my justification and reasoning. But one thing that stood out was that when I explained that and they were able to buy into that, they provided a lot more feedback in the solution that I was actually going after even though they originally came with a request that I actually politely denied or said no to. So it's very important to, to be mindful of whenever you're saying no, to, to have those additional areas open for you, uh, where, where you can invite others to participate and partner with you, as opposed to just giving them a solid no, and then you know, you, you'll be on your own and I'll be on my own. A product manager can only succeed if they are working in partnership with everyone, because by and and by themselves product managers are not delivering anything um, they they have to work as part of the team and the team has to deliver something but then all stakeholders of that team or around them need to provide that feedback in order for that pm to be successful at what they do so that's my learning or or rather my experience of saying no in a in a in a in a slightly larger or uh, version of of explaining yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, okay. Let me jump to the fireside questions. Uh, so these are quick round, uh, one to two says one to two sentence, uh, responses. So the first one I have is it's a tough one, but how do you ask better questions in product? Um, by doing my research before I ask those questions. So, um, you know, I can, I can explain more, but just in one line, I would say, if you have done your thorough research on what you are going to uh, ask, um, you know, from your users, from your customers, from your stakeholders, you usually get better answers. Okay. Um, what aspects of product development money can't fix? Uh, understanding the user behavior. I think you can throw all the money you want and there are tons of tools that will give you some indication on how your user thinks about processing that feature that you just shipped. But unless and until you speak to them, um, and that may not necessarily be just because you're incentivizing them through money to provide a feedback or something like that, um, really you know, kind of get to the heart and soul of um, their issue or what they're trying to use the product for, you won't get the right feedback. And that to me is the, one of the biggest factors why certain products succeed over uh, others which fail. Okay, awesome. Um, what are some product lessons or principles that you keep coming back to over time? Prioritizing users over anything else. Doesn't matter what your CEO wants, doesn't matter what your uh, which direction market is headed, if you strongly believe that your users are the one driving value for your product, you need to listen to them. Okay. Um, That's an interesting one, but if you could only work five hours per week, what would you do with those five hours? Ooh, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, I think I love ideation uh, quite a lot. So I, I love coming up with 
new product um, features and solutions around certain interesting uh, and complex problems. So if I would just spend five hours, I would just kind of come up with those uh, product features or requirements uh, through ideation by working with stakeholders. That's the part that I love the most. Okay. Okay, great. Um, is there any controversial views that you hold in product? Um, yes, I would say. And that's only based on personal experience. <laughs> so there's been not a lot of um, thorough research that I can use to back up. Uh, but I feel, you know, a lot, like in, in recent times, there's a lot more focus on uh, using data-driven product management, which is usually you have a, you know, uh, data pipeline through which you have some, some metrics that you've set up and those metrics would actually define the success for your product. I tend to think that that's not like a metrics can only give you in some cases, even less than half of the picture. So you need to be really careful around using metrics to gauge your success. Uh, you should look into the whole story, which is more often than not, when you've shipped a feature, talk to certain users who have started using it, get their feedback and have like an NPS survey done. Um, that combined with how the actual behavior is through metrics would give you a much better uh, you know, uh, judgment on if your product feature was a success or a failure. Okay. All right. Uh, a couple more. Uh, what is one of the most worthwhile investments you've made in your career so far from, from a professional standpoint, per personal? Um, yeah, sorry. I think so. So, you know, uh, to be honest, I jumped into product by chance and how it happened was that I was running my own startup uh, or rather that's, that's how I started my product journey when I was building my own ad tech startup. And I think the lessons I learned doing that have really kind of defined me to be the professional I am today. Um, I did it at a time when I had just graduated out of the university. So there's a lot of pressure on you as a fresh grad out of college or university that you want to make it in the world. While, and, and that usually translates to get a good, well-paying job. I chose the opposite path, which was kind of going solo as a founder and then starting off with nothing and then you know, kind of going on to raising some funds, building an MVP, launching it in the market, failing eventually in the process as well. But the immense amount of learning that I've had has shaped me to be the person I am today, both in my personal and professional uh, lives, which is why I think that has been the most worthwhile investment um, at the right time. Had I done a startup today, I'm much more wiser. Um, and then I can, you know, kind of, I can still make mistakes, but um, I would do it in a, in a much more cautious way, uh, but I wouldn't know half the lessons uh, throughout this time that I now know just because of uh, doing that startup experience early on in my career. Okay. Uh, okay. Last question for you: What do you wish people? What do people never ask you that you wish they did? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I can answer this question from two perspectives, but I think for the sake of this conversation, I would, you know, kind of restrict it to uh, professionally. Um, you know, for, from a product perspective, I think usually product managers are quite misunderstood um, in, in at least some of the places where I've worked at. 
um, and then they are not, or their views are not kind of given a lot more importance if it's not really, you know, if you, if you don't make a convincing case uh, for yourself. So like I said before, you have to definitely convince your, um, you know, stakeholders on, on the decisions that you're making. But what I feel, you know, a lot of people don't really ask those PMs, even though while they're going through those requirements and, um, you know, everything else that a product manager kind of shares with them, um, is, is the actual value the PM is willing to create for the company while doing this. They would still go on and ask, okay, why are you doing this? And why, why do you think this is important for the user and all those things? But they don't really ask you as a PM, why do you think this is an important investment for the company to make at this time, given everything? And I think as a PM, that's usually at, at the crux of every product feature that you're building. So in my experience, at least, that's what I do. I try and, um, you know, the company that I'm working for expects me to deliver value for it. Yes, I need to make the best product experience for its users, but eventually, if you look at it this way, that user value that needs to be driven from that PM will eventually help the business anyway. But then what does the PM have in mind when they are shipping out a feature or, or are defining requirements for a feature that will eventually add value to the business overall is a question that is usually ignored and is somehow expected that because this new feature or this new shiny thing has been shipped, magically everything will start working or it will start producing results Im immediately. More often than not, a PM is usually playing the long game and that's a thought process that needs to be reflected in what they're doing. And a lot more people need to ask about it so that they can get behind it and expect much more realistic results from a PM as opposed to just those metrics and those indications and those KPIs that this PM is hired to deliver on. I think that's a great answer and a great way to, to wrap up the episode. So thank you so much, Usama, uh, for coming on, sharing your wisdom. I think uh, you could go on and there's so much in you there so thank you and to always uh, to all of our listeners for tuning in and supporting the show we are